Welcome to Out With Dan, the podcast that spotlights and examines the voices of LGBTQ authors, characters, and our allies. Together, we lift our voices and we tell our stories. I'm Dan White. Join me as I chat with this week's author. Hello and welcome back to Out With Dan. Today I'm excited to talk to Julia Bricklin about her latest, Red Sapphire. Welcome, Julia. Thank you. Oh, I this book was very entertaining. It's very educational. And I say those things because I learned some things, which is always a wonderful. I learned some things that I did not know. I knew about the Red Scare, but I did not know about Hannah Weinstein. So Give us a little background of who Hannah is and what she did. Great. Um, I received quite an education too, but Hannah Weinstein was a leftist born in New York in 1911. When she was a young adult, she became a leader in various left-wing causes that over a short period of time grew to be extremely powerful. She then uh, was put on uh, Joseph McCarthy's, Senator Joseph McCarthy's target lists of various sorts, along with the House for Un-American Activities. Uh, they were very worried about her ability to stoke uh, resistance and uh, organization for these left-wing causes, particularly her leading of the campaign to elect a third-party candidate in the, uh, by the name of Henry Wallace in 1948 among other things. So in 1950, Ms. Weinstein found herself as um, found herself as not only the breadwinner of her family, but recently fired because of these uh, her these activities and her unwillingness to renounce them. So she found out she was going to be subpoenaed and she took her young family and went to Paris where she learned how to create filmed television. And then she created a calling card that took her to Britain where she was bankrolled as the head of Sapphire Films. Sapphire Films in turn created some 300 episodes of television and she sent those back to the United States as filmed entertainment for the masses here as well as the United Kingdom and Canada and eventually a lot of other nations as well. She honestly, such a hero to me, you know, this, I try not to be too political, but I think that your book and this conversation um, has to be a bit political. You know, our country was founded on freedoms and yet here is, here comes Senator McCarthy and quite a few other people. He wasn't by himself. And they go and they do this huge scare and they take away people's freedoms. Here is someone who was a very successful person. Uh, so I'm sort of selling your book now, I guess. But the thing is, you know, here's a woman who had worked on a lot of campaigns for the government and for this country and making a difference in uh, advertising. And yet it, in, you know, the snap of a finger, all of that changes. Correct. Yeah, I think you don't even necessarily have to be political or even cleave to one party or another, although I I mean, that's sort of difficult in today's environment as it was then too. But I think that, you know, Ms. Weinstein 
um, felt very strongly about making the best of a situation for those who had been downtrodden or I would go so far as to say silenced. And yes. silencing people is never a good idea. No matter where you are in the political spectrum, your well-founded opinions should be heard. So I think for her, it was really more about, okay, I have this sphere of influence. How do I make the best of it? And how do I help those who have been silenced? And how do I amplify their voices even if people don't know it's them speaking? which I thought was just tremendous. I just, I have so much respect for her. So do I. And I mean, she she had to sort of take her show on the road, as you were talking about, moving to Paris and then on to England. But she did what she needed to do for not only herself, but her family and and her friends. I think that's the thing that I'm constantly um, pleased with, if I get to be pleased, is the fact that it wasn't just for herself. She also took her friends along. And as you were saying, those voices that were silenced and she gave them, uh, she gave them a job. She gave them a way to voice, you know, their concerns. Um, and I do love the fact that she created the adventures of Robin Hood. Uh, mm. I saw those as a child in oh reroll. Oh my goodness. And, yes. And it was, it was amazing to me because there is such a political message in those shows. And I think we're still fighting for some of the same things in today's world. 100%, 100%. We're still fighting fascism. We're still fighting um, anti-Semitism. We're still fighting misogyny. We're still fighting um, for the rights of, of women and people of color. Um, you know, we're still fighting my goodness, it's 2023, and we're still talking about child labor in the United yes. States. I mean, that's sort of touched upon in some of these episodes, too. So I think for um, for Weinstein, it was really the best of all possible worlds. She could amplify the voices of her blacklisted writer friends, you know, even using pseudonyms, of course, but yes. she also, yeah, but she was also able to put food on their tables at, during a time when they really wondered if they were going to be able to do that or if they had to leave America and go somewhere else, which many of them did. But for the ones that she hired, um, most of them were able to stay in the United States and earn a living in um, large part because of Sapphire Films Robin Hood, Sir Lancelot, the Buccaneers, and so forth. I and I was I was really interested. I looked on IMDb to see the different credits mm -hmm. that she had, and there are quite a few. One was for just men, mm -hmm. and I loved that because I, it felt like once again she was asserting um, her rights by creating something, even with this title that you know is going to go against the grain. Um, but it is a, it's a wonderful, it's wonderful to be in that position and to make a difference. I think that's the one thing I, that's my biggest takeaway from this book. hundred percent. And what I also admire about Weinstein is that separate from all of this, you know, um, willingness to amplify, amplify voices by making entertainment is she was deeply interested in new media technologies. And The Four Just Men was really the first time that, um, it wasn't the absolute first time, but it was really an experiment with making 
um, these four um, subversive characters be from four different continents. And, um, you know, it might look rudimentary to us today, but having stock footage from four different um, parts of the world, along with um, phone calls of, of men calling each other from, you know, Italy to America to wherever. Um, she really loved that. And she, she also did a lot of work with a very, very basic pay on demand um, technology at, that never got off the ground, but it did pave the way for future pay-per-view TV mm -hmm. and, and so on and different recording devices. And I just thought that was so, so interesting that she was interested in this, in this technology too. I agree. And I, I, she wasn't, certainly wasn't afraid of something new. And that's something we see again and again in her life and in her work. She, as a young mother, she worked at an advertising agency and, you know, she did things that she could do where she was in that part of her life. And that's a very inspiring thing. One thing that you do mention, and I think that we would know who Hannah Weinstein is a lot more had she not been a woman. And that, of course, is I always like to amplify women. We all got here by one and it's important. Uh, none of us can go without a mom. And um, but she did. She did what a man would do in that position, and she did it really, really well. Was that was that something of importance to you in writing this book? Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Yeah, it was very important to me to amplify um, this this story because it was spearheaded by a woman. But I also think that, you know, she had to um, as as organized as she was, the very nature of what she was doing demanded that she be quiet in certain ways too. And yes. I, I actually think that that takes a certain amount of uh, discipline as well as to, boy, you just created this whole media empire and now you've got to sort of be quiet. And I think that takes a lot of skill too, to be behind the scenes and um, directing everything as you will, um, as you know, both literally and figuratively. So yes, and you know, she made lots of savvy business decisions. I know uh, she didn't take one credit on the things that she was doing because it would have put them over the budget, and then they would have had to put things out to the film commission in Great Britain if they were over a certain budget. And, you know, that too is a difficult thing because, you know, we work for our money. We want what belongs to us. Right. A job doesn't give us money. We earn money. But to know that you have to set something aside to get what you want ultimately, that's a big discipline as well. Yeah. You know, delayed gratification. I mean, and I suppose not even knowing if you're going to get that gratification Maybe it comes in different forms, just knowing that you've created a lovely product and you've helped people um, earn a living. Maybe that was enough. Um, I, I, I think she liked the accolades, but. <laughs> I think so too. And I, <clears throat> I think when you're that talented, you have to like the accolades because that's, that's validation. You know, not just the paycheck, but the accolades become validation as well. It's so. also how you get more work. 
So that is very true. You know, you can't be a wallflower in any kind of creative aspect of life. You've got to put yourself out there whether you want to or not. And the way you do get more money, more jobs, more gigs is to put yourself out there. So, so true. So true. <laughs> I want to uh, read a quote that you put in at the end of the book from Helen Keller. And I thought it was very, very, it's still very timely. The world is moved along not only by the mighty shoves of the heroes, but also the aggregate of tiny pushes by each honest worker. And I found that to be, it is just as timely today as it was back then. You know, we see time and time again that we have to stand up for what's right. We have to push ahead when it's tough. Um, one of the things that I was amazed by, even as late as 1960, Hannah's having some serious issues with the FBI and the House Un-American Committee had been shut down eight years earlier. But yet there were people who were still trying to keep mm -hmm. a person down. Well, sure. I mean, take your pick of any number of marginalized people um, and, and labor as as you know an aggregate force of marginalized people i i don't think we'll ever see a a time where those things i want to see a time where those <laughs> I, you and i both julia but i understand exactly where you're going <laughs> sure. um but i i think you know we can learn a lot from her we can take the baton from her and pass it along to our offspring and our friends and our colleagues and keep fighting for our, our fellow men and women. I mean, I think that's really important. I absolutely do as well. You know, both of us live here in Los Angeles and uh, SAG and AFTRA have just uh, finished their strike. And I hear sometimes people say, oh, you know, I, they make so much money, but they oh. deserve to make so much money because the people above them make a ridiculous amount of money. And if they can take something away by shoving in things like AI, they will certainly do it. This is one of my, one of my soap boxes, Julia, sorry, but it's, well, we have no, to find ourselves. It, we do. And, it, and, you know, you know this, there's not very many people when you put all of the SAG after workers together and all the Writers Guild workers together, there aren't that many that are making a comfortable living but there are some at the top who are making an extraordinary living for 25 lifetimes. And yes. it's, it's just time to even the playing field a little bit. Totally agree. I totally agree. So I know because I follow you that you do other things. What number book is this? By the way, once again, it's Red Sapphire. You've written several books. How many? This is number five. Lovely. This is I love number it. five. And I've got a gilded age true crime making the rounds um, to publishers right now. Fingers crossed. It's an extraordinary story. It's it's got magic, it's got murder, it's got a trial. It's great. I so, love it. I love it. Best of luck on that. And I also know because I listen to podcasts that you've done Infamous America and Legends of the Old West with Black Barrel Media. 
Uh, how much fun is that? I I have really loved them. I knocked out the Legends of the West in record time. It's really great. You know, I had this opportunity to work with a, a great company, Black Barrel Media. And what I like about them is they let me pull fresh narratives out of, you know, what we think of is tried and true stories, you know. I mean, how many times can you do, um, you know, Wyatt Earp or, you know, something like that? But uh, but we do, and I appreciate that. And it's it's just it's so much fun. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of. Work. <laughs> I can imagine <laughs> it is because you have to you have to do all the research, and then you have to boil down those points to make a coherent story. Right, so right. And good it job on that. Thank you. Thank you. We, we have a great time. It's good stuff. I appreciate um, that. Well, and I will say, because I've always heard of the Donner Party, but me, I've oh. with my little rose-colored glasses. I really didn't know what went on. I just knew that I didn't either. <laughs> I didn't either, and I've never heard of the Bloody Benders. Apparently, I'm, you know, one of the few that hasn't heard that frontier story that we tacked onto the Donner Party story, but boy, did I learn a lot, and it was you know, by the time they got to the Sierra Nevada mountains, they'd already had five lifetimes of adventures already. So it was really interesting to, to do that story. It was really well done. And I, Chris is a great narrator. I enjoyed the entire thing. So just as I enjoyed Red Sapphire, once yeah. it's a beautiful cover. And I'm going to repost my picture of it. Let's see, what side am I on? So I love doing that. That was a thank lot of fun. You. Thank you. Thank you. You get it. You get it. I do indeed. I do indeed. So do you have a website or social media you would like to share? I do. I do. It's juliabricklin.com. Very straightforward. I really need to update it and I shall. And then you can also find me on Blue Sky. And certainly you can find me on Facebook. Lovely. I love it. And I do want to give a little tip of the hat to Grandma Dale. I love that. I do not want to share anything because the reader has to discover that on their own. But Grandma Dale is she's, she is delicious. Oh, so appreciate that, Dan. Really do. Oh. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Julia, for joining me. And hang on for me just a second. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of Out with Dan. You can find more information about this podcast and its host at outwithdan.com, on Twitter at outwithdan, and on Instagram and Facebook at gooutwithdan. This podcast is hosted by Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, and the theme music is provided by bensound.com. Join us again soon for the next episode of Out with Dan.